Welcome to the next episode of Take It Easy Podcast. Uh, this episode is about heat pumps. I sat down with uh, Nathan from uh, B2 Talk Podcast and the, um, you know, he's just asked him a lot of questions about heating pumps and the heating engineering industry. Um, it's It was a very good conversation. I've enjoyed it very much. This was one of my the second one of my video uh, podcast attempts. So if you're listening to this as an audio, you can also uh, watch us uh, on YouTube. Uh, as always, I would like to thank my amazing patrons um, on patreon.com slash takeitev. This would not be possible without you. Um, please subscribe, smash that like button, you know, and all that jazz. And can I, what else can I say? I've got quite a few episodes coming up that are i think very good conversations and just stay tuned for next stuff but now just enjoy the uh, the podcast about uh, heat pumps with Nathan. Anyway, so so well, welcome to Take It Easy uh, podcast, uh, Nathan. Uh, I you know I've heard you on, on a lot of podcasts before, and, and obviously you're on podcasts uh, as well. And um, it, it, heat pumps and, and sort of heating in general is like a subject for a lot of EV owners. You know, it's one thing that happens quite often with people who buy electric cars or are just generally in, interested in electric cars is that they they all of a sudden notice other things like solar panels and um, you know heat pumps and lots of other things and they they quite often change their diets as well uh you know they they, they go basically a bit more uh eco-sustainable uh, in their lives and uh, i actually asked this morning people on twitter if they have any questions about heat pumps kind of late late you know i should have asked them a couple of days ago but i've i you know I, i've got my my own set of questions anyway um and uh and uh, quite a lot of people who i know uh, propped up and said oh yeah you know we're getting a heat pump soon. I've got this question. I'm getting a heat pump soon. I'm going to get uh, have this question. And it's all of a sudden like, oh, I didn't know that all these people looked at heat pumps because uh, we just talked about EVs and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, it's uh, it, 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 I think it's a subject that uh, that is very, um, very much uh, on the books these days. And obviously, never mind the fact that, you know, we've got this whole situation with Russia and people are trying to minimize the dependency on gas. That's obviously a massive massive uh, thing and, and the uh, uh, rising costs of uh, of gas and uh, and uh, and electricity is another reason um so you know can can i cuz you know i could probably uh, i'm uh, talk about it myself but you know i'm sure you you're uh, you're better suited than me can you like briefly describe to people what do you do yourself obviously and what what is a heat pump and why do we care about heat pumps in the first place well, so if I'll describe, so hello, and thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. So I suppose that's the first thing to mention. I, I run a podcast, I host, host a podcast called Beta Talk, uh, which is all about sort of renewable heating technology. Um, so I, I did my apprenticeship, uh, how old am I now? 51. So yeah, I did my apprenticeship back in 86. Um, I did it with the Ministry of Defence on a, on a USAF air base. And so my, but my family has quite a sort of unprecedented historical background um in in heating so heat central heating is relatively quite new actually i mean 
there'd be people listening to this podcast, for instance, that would have grown up without central heating. People had sort of some sort of heating. They might have had a, uh, an electric bar far or a gas far in the lounge, but then central heating started to become popular. My grandfather bought the Swedish oil burner technology over to this country. So he was sort of renowned as one of the leading oil combustion experts in Europe. He was definitely the leading combustion expert in the UK. Um, my great uncle was lead engineer for Unilever and the European energy manager for Unilever. And my dad was one of the technical reps for Trika Red Fire, which is a prominent uh, boiler back in the 80s. And my cousin is uh, the UK's leading acoustic sensitive uh, air conditioning uh, so he, he, expert. So he works in a lot of the radio stations, a lot of the very famous recording studios, because obviously they need. So I suppose that's a good segue into the fact that. Uh, Heat pumps have been around us a long time, and, and heat pumps. I suppose the first thing to say, heat pump is a very generic term. Um, okay. So there's all different sorts of heat pumps, and so basically, a heat pump does what it says on the tin. It pumps heat from one place to to another, and it uses vapor compression technology. Now, vapor compression technology has been with us a long time. Lots of people listening to your podcast would have been heated with it today for instance because it's everywhere outside of our homes so when you go into your shops your supermarkets people in factories offices uh, you're generally being heated a lot of the time with vapor compression technology now a lot of people will look up and they will call it aircon or ac it's not actually true ac uh, it's actually what when you look up it's going to be comfort cooling comfort heating systems using vapor compression technology we'll talk about that in a bit uh, AC air conditioning does exist, but it's actually very rare, and it does what it says on the tin. It conditions air to very strict parameters, so things like you know controlling humidity. So you'll find it in certain rooms in museums where they're where they're storing certain artifacts that they need to be stored at certain humidities. You know, the British Library will have a couple of rooms where it is. So air okay. conditioning, even though the industry calls it air conditioning, and obviously the Americans call their um, comfort cooling systems air conditioning, uh, it's it's actually comfort cooling, comfort heating. And it's been around us for a long, long time in, um, uh, you know, in the spaces outside of our homes. So that's one thing I need. I think people, when they talk about heat pumps, especially even government, so before Bayes, you had DEC, and you would have had people talking about heat pumps um, who probably want, who didn't realise they were in offices uh, that's being heated with heat pumps. And, you know, some of the radio stations, for instance, where they have people come on that dismiss heat pumps, uh, ironically, are in rooms and studios that are that 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 it's been controlled with heat pump technology because my cousin put a lot of it in. Uh, I mean, classic FM. I think we put the, the VRF system into that in 1991. So yeah, so it's it's been around us a long time. It's not new technology. Um, you know, district heating. There was a there was a not district heating. There was a John Sumner in my home city, Norwich, built a heat pump. A system that took heat from the river and heated the factory, the Gerald's factory, which is a printing press. So that was in 1948. Uh, 1951, the London Festival House had a heat pump system put in. Now, unfortunately, the people who designed that didn't realise how much installation that had soundproofing. And so it ended up that the heat pump was oversized. And, of course, it was going on, off, on, off, and it was a, it would have been a centrifugal uh, compressor back then with, with um, capacitors to turn it on and off. So made a lot of noise, so they got rid of it. And, of course, that made the media. That one made the media. The one that was two years before it, which has been designed perfect and working up until the 2000s, uh, no one talked about. So, yeah, heat pump technology isn't new, and it does work. So, uh, But there's different types. So the type that I'm talking about, like obviously in our offices and things like that, is air-to-air, vapor, um, vapor compression technology. The types that people generally talk about for their homes are going to be 
it's still an air source heat pump. You know, the source of energy is from the air, but it's to heat water. So it's air to water. Okay. So what you're telling me basically is that the uh, um, papers and and, and journalists, journalists in general uh, seeking drama or just looking for negative stories is not a new thing these days. No, never has been. I think one of the, one of the problems with <laughs> with uh, mainstream media is that they have their own little mini social media sites. So, I mean, I get you know the BBC contact me, the Telegraph contact me to sort of verify certain things, but. But I think if they if they realise if they make a controversial story on their own platforms where people can comment, you know, the more comments you get, I should imagine yeah. you get the more advertising. So I think the more controversial they make the stories, the better, really. So, which is yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of disinformation out there. Yeah, I think I think it's a human condition to like, like we're more attracted to uh, negative stories because we you know we have to be on our feeds, right? Um, in case something bad happens, we have to react quickly. Whereas when everything's fine and we have the room to breathe, we don't care about it as much as the uh, as about the negative stories. But yeah, it's it, it, yeah, I, I you know I've, I've uh, I like the story about the um, how how old are the heat pumps and how sort of widely uh, uh, not available, but like how widely installed they are, and we just don't realize that they're there because because uh, it's just you know. Uh, uh, to to a to a regular person, they look they all look like air conditioning units because that's what we used to right the um the the fan outside and uh, if you go on holidays to Spain or whatever there's there's aircon everywhere and you see this the 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 um the outside unit with a massive fan and to to everyone who looks at a heat pump unit the the, the air to heat pump or air source heat pump it kind of looks like a big air conditioning unit um and we yeah which is a which, which is a heat pump I think as, a, as an aircon. Yeah, which is a heat pump. I mean, basically, a heat pump is yeah, yeah. essentially four um, things: your condenser, your evaporator, your compressor, and then a metering device. And it's just refrigerant flowing around it. And you're pumping heat from a cold place or a colder energy state to a a, um, a, hot, a hot hot place. Because the way to think about heat is, it's a bit like a, you know, if you imagine a hill and you've got water at the top of the hill, it's going to run down here. Water always runs down here. It runs from a high place to a low place. And that's exactly what heat does. It runs, it will move from a high temperature to a low temperature. And a bit like the, the, the water or a river on a hill, the steeper the hill, the quicker the river will flow. And that's the same with heat. The, the greater the gradient, gradient of heat, so if it's colder outside and you want your room inside 20 or 21, if it's colder outside, heat will move quicker. So that's what heat does. Now, if you want to move that water up the hill, what do we use? We use a pump. So it's exactly why they're called heat pumps, because if we want to move energy from a cold place to a hotter place, we pump. We have to pump it. And of course, obviously, people then ask, well, how's their energy? How's their heat energy if it's like zero degrees outside? You know, what, how can it be? Well, there's, it's all to do, you know, your atoms are moving about, your molecules are moving about. The coldest possible temperature is absolute zero, which is minus 273.15 degrees Celsius. So above that, there's energy. As long as atoms are moving, there's energy. So at zero degrees, there's huge amounts of energy. Um, and we can yes, move that. Yes, we, yes. Use, we, we can move that using the vapour compression cycle, and we've been doing it for a long time. We do it with our food. I mean, and, and you know, all the food that's getting transported around the world and all the warehouses it gets stored in and the shipping and the, the, the vans that bring it to your home, they're all using vapour compression technology to keep that food cooler. Yeah, but, but, well, that, that's, what, that's what you do in, in your fridge, right, or in your freezer. Is that the same principle? Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly the same. Now. Exactly the same. I mean, people, 
people tend to say it's a fridge in reverse. There's nothing in reverse. It's exactly the same. You've got a compressor, evaporator, condenser okay. core, and a medium drive. There's nothing reverse at all about it. It's exactly what you're doing. So a fridge, you remove, if you put an apple or whatever you want to put in your fridge, that's got heat energy in it. And uh, you're moving heat energy into the evaporator and then gets compressed and then it gets the heat gets chucked out outside the um, condenser. So you, um, so the, 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 the beta talk or beta talk, uh, that that's the podcast that you're doing, but you also have a whole uh, like educational platform, right? Can you, can you talk about that a little bit more? And one of the questions that I often get is, you know, how do we know um, that, a, you know, that a heat pump engineer or, or, or a heat engineer is, is, is a good one? How do I get a, a good installation of a heat pump? Because everyone's hearing about stories where somebody's got a heat pump installed in their house and it doesn't work. You know, I, I presume it's just like 10 stories uh, over, uh, you know, thousands of installations. But obviously, like we said earlier, when there's a negative story, it just kind of prevails in the uh, in people's minds and just gets it just spreads around like wildfire. Um, so, yeah. So if you can talk about your your side of things in terms of the, uh, the educational platform, but also as a sort of as a you know as a home owner who's not very technically savvy um how do we make sure that you know we get we get the the sort of the, the right person to come over and actually install the heat pump correctly well to, to be honest the homeowner is in a very um not a great position because it is very hard to ascertain who's competent and yes, yeah, so I suppose one, one the thing I'm kind of perhaps, not, I mean, I'm, I never say I'm a great engineer because I'm not, I know the good engineers, so I'm kind of known for knowing who the good engineers are. Um, and, and also my, my sort of real expertise is how we train people up and skills and, and you know, learning is completely different to education. Lots of people think learning is about education. The education is a sort of bureaucratic model that's completely different to learning. Um, consumers have got a problem. Because there is this thing about how would how do you know who is competent? And, and, and unfortunately, we've got a system, rightly or wrongly, is where if you're certified and accredited, you're deemed competent, and you're not. And it's not just me saying that. You know, there's we've got sort of you know what, what the Bays have just done a heat pump trial, seven hundred and fifty homes. They obviously use MCS accredited installation companies, the same as the Energy Savings Trust trials of two thousand and nine, two thousand and eleven did. And what they found was there's a very very wide spectrum of competence. If we've accredited and uh, sort of certified people, so it's very, very hard for the consumer. Um, you know, unless you're in the game, how can you assess competence? I mean, obviously, peer assessment is is you know, any any industry. I mean, if you and I went and watched a Formula One uh, race and we went down into the pits and we went to all the different car manufacturers and we said to all their mechanics, "Who are the best three mechanics?" You'd probably tend to find that all the mechanics would name the same sort of three people. So with any within any industry, whether it's computer coding or making EVs, I suppose people tend to know who is really good. So my learning platform kind of builds on that. You know, this whole thing of peer to peer learning, hive mindset, because uh, the. the I think people are starting to realise our industry is very, very technical. I mean, unfortunately, I think over time, rightly or wrongly, I don't know whose fault it is, but consumers do tend to look at us as tradespeople. You know, we're, we're not particularly that intelligent. We come in, and, which is quite strange because fundamentally, you know, in, with some demographics, we're keeping people alive. I mean, if you're elderly and you go without heat in the mid, mid to the winter, it's critical. Uh, you know, we obviously, you know, the World Health Organization describes plumbers as the, the frontline health workers, you know, above doctors, because as my old lecturer used to say, 
We prevent more death and disease than doctors can cure. So sanitation does do that. But we have got yeah. the situation where we have kind of, you know, people are more prepared to spend uh, more on their yearly subscriptions to Netflix and Spotify and their phones than they do on their heating. And that's not society's fault. It's just how it's, that's how it's happened. So with the boiler industry, for instance, you know, the UK gas boiler industry became the biggest gas boiler industry in the world up until 2016. It's now third in the world. It's the biggest in Europe by far. And, of course, the boiler industry just want to sell stuff. So our industry kind of got dumbed down. It really did get dumbed down. I mean, there's a lot of theoretical science involved in our industry, and you've got some great engineers out there who can really – I mean, there's a lot of boiler makes and models, and there's some great engineers out there who can really repair this stuff, get it working. But our boiler industry has incentivized actually replacing the boiler rather than get it to work. I mean, they'll fly you abroad if you, if you put enough boilers in as a, you know, as a loyalty scheme. So we're in this situation where it's been a race to the bottom. Uh, you know, you've got engineers that are kind of not, not as high a skill as what they kind of could be. Uh, there's, a, there's enthusiasm around that, actually, though. But, um, and then, of course, society probably doesn't value us as much as uh, what they probably could. And, and, and maybe heat pumps is the transition or the catalyst to make people think, oh, crikey, heat, heating is actually quite complex. And I know government, I mean, I speak to some people in Bays and obviously the, the Climate Change Committee, I speak to people in there, and you know, they're starting to realise, wow, this stuff is actually quite complex, quite technical, and there's perhaps not that many people out there that really um, know what they're doing. And that's why I started the podcast, because you know, government was listening to all these their um, consultancies, but they were using theoretical engineers, you know, university, you know, nothing wrong with them. You know, they're very clever people, but they want on-the-ground engineers. They've not really encountered this stuff. And so I wanted to start a podcast that disseminated the voice of the on, really good on-the-ground engineers that encounter this stuff day in, day out, because obviously their voice is quite important. Because they're also interfacing with the most important group of people, which, of course, is the consumers. Um, yeah. you know, the, it's the engineers that meet the consumers and, and have to um, solve their problems. So it's, it's very hard for a consumer... To, to understand com- okay. who a competent engineer is very odd. I mean, it, it it is it is kind of the same with with any any trade. You know, you've got checker trade and, and organizations like that. And I've had plenty of people that were, were had very high scores on checker trade, and they did their job poorly, and we just had to you know deal with it kind of offsite because they nobody wants to have a poor um, rating on the checker trade or, or websites like that, um, which is why loads of people have very high ratings. Right. <laughs> well, their um, models, their models, yeah. their models don't work, and they can't work. You know, no one, unless they're in the industry, no one can assess my competence. They can ac- they can assess my time, timekeeping, politeness, and tidiness. So that's what I'm getting rated yeah. for if I was on Checker Trader. No, no one can assess me te- my technical competence. Um, so, so that them sort of uh, there's a few, there's quite a lot of them that like to, you know rate this and check this, and they can't actually assess competence so that, that they're a system that's actually not perhaps perhaps working that well if i'm honest no and and uh, it, it's good that um, we have people like yourself who are kind of because if if government's only listening to uh, to uh, purely uh, you know uh, academic types the other the other part of the the conversation would be commercial and like you said then you've got a race to the bottom which is not always in the interest of the uh, the consumer uh so you know you want to have a voice that actually uh, represents the, the the consumer interest rather than just the commercial interest of businesses manufacturing boilers or whatever trinkets uh, they're trying to sell um 
I th so I think that's that's very uh, that's very good. Um, in in terms of the uh, the the okay, so you know, as as a consumer, like uh, obviously, I I have I'm going to have a very hard time finding out if my heat pump installation has been a good one. And what happens if if somebody because this is the you know I'm not trying to be just a, a negative. Uh, uh, here, but this is this is what I hear often from members of my family or or other people when I'm considering a heat pump. Because we have a, currently a gas boiler in the house, but we're getting a house extension built soon, and we want to get a heat pump. Um, and the uh, and you know and everyone's like, oh, but they're not going to work. It's going to cost you a lot of money. Uh, this is a massive outlay of of capital. You're going to have to replace all your radiators. Or you're going to have to get, uh, you know, underfloor heating, and this. And you, I'm sure you've heard all of this. Um, what do you say to these people? Like, how do you how do you deal with this uh, um, this sort of negative comment? And also on top of it, the other thing is that that kind of annoys me is that when I talk to builders who are who are going to build our extension, their point of view is like, why why are you getting a heat pump? Everyone's going to come up with a hydrogen solution that's been tested and proven up north, the myth, the, myth, the mythical trial up north, which I have no idea where that took place. Um, and was so successful that I've never read about it anywhere. Uh, but how do you deal with all these things? Because um, I'm sure you've heard it all. Yeah, and uh, it's it's quite interesting because obviously growing up in heating engineering, you know, no, no one ever talked about heating outside of heating engineers, I suppose. And uh, but you know, the whole world is now looking at our industry. It really is looking at our industry. And you know, people at Bayes listen to my podcast as part of their learning development, for instance. So people are now really looking at it. Um, People are always going to hit no, that, and, and there's been some negative. You know, there's a lot. There's there are the thing is with a heat pump system, you've got to get it right. You've got to get the design right. I mean, people think you can't. You know, people say we've got leaky homes and you can't heat homes up with heat pumps. Well, of course you can. It's it's the laws of thermodynamics. So you can. You can heat a marquee up with a heat yeah. pump, and that's pretty. Leaky. You can heat a marquee up with people. So bodies emit 100 watts uh, when you're moving about. About 80 watts yeah. when you're not moving about. So you, you, everyone's been to a party or something where it's all got a bit hot, and that's body heat. And no one's blood went or body went over, what's it, 37 degrees. So this is the other myth that you can't heat buildings up with low temperature. Well, of course you can. Um, and actually, body heat can be a problem. So, for instance, when all the people, all the musicians, extra musicians came together to recall Band-Aid, uh, lots of body heat in the studio in 1984. So my cousin had to go there to Sam Studios and... That was owned by Trevor Horn, anyone that remembers Buggles, uh, video killed. So he went and tweaked the, the, the system. Then 2014, extra musicians, we went there the day before to tweak that system so that can remove more heat. It's heat pump system. So body heat can actually be a problem. Okay. Um, so you, you, you can heat things up. you just got to design it right. It's as simple as that. You've got to design it right. And this is where there's a different – I mean, everyone talks about the cost parity you know, of, of a boiler system. Boilers you can just sling on the wall. It's a high flame temperature it's going to heat your house up and it's going to, it can heat it up quickly as well. And we're all used to this thing of where you just flick it on, it can heat your home up quickly. Heat pumps don't work like that. They, they, you don't use them the same way, uh, but they can definitely heat up your premises if it's designed correctly. So again, unfortunately for the consumer, they've got to find someone that knows that. Uh, we're obviously now got a situation where all sorts of people realise there's money in this industry and you know, there's, a, there's some very clever people that know how to sort of get finance or whatever. So they'll come into the industry, they'll go and chuck all this stuff in. It's not going to be designed that great. And the poor old consumer is going to have some very high uh, electricity prices. But if you have a system that's designed really, really well, it's going to work fine. But, yeah, it's, it's, um, 
So we've got a problem of not everyone knows how to design the systems really, really well. Um, and we might see a little bit of a split. So your average engineer uh, probably not won't know too much about the design, but they can easily fit the stuff. And so you, you, you're going to get this sort of two separate cohorts, designers, engineers. I mean, we might have to see a bit of a change how the industry works because our industry is a sole trader industry. Never used to be. So it you know, used to be employed yeah. by the, the gas boards, the regional gas boards and the councils, and that's 60s and 70s. And then sort of the 80s, we shifted towards a sole trader industry. We might see a different um, a way that, that that sort of changes. So you might start to see sort of more SMEs and sort of people banded together. But that's going to be hard for people to sort of adjust to sometimes. But, um, you know, we've got to get there and we've got to bring the skill level up. I mean... The skill level is a bit of a challenge, um, but that's the one I'm working on. <laughs> Do you think it's ever going to change that? Uh, are we ever going to get to the point where the heat pumps are kind of like gas boilers where you can just chuck them on the wall and, you know, no. and they're going to be able to... No, there's just, it, it's just a principle of, the, uh, of, of how it works, essentially, just the physics of it. Yeah. That's not going to yeah. allow it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, you have to. You but have if, to design. If I say you had a, yeah, if I if I had a terrible installation, because obviously that's going to happen to people, uh, uh, can somebody just come in and and fix it easily, or is it is it a massive outlay then to get things right? I mean, it kind of depends on the individual cases, but you know, say the system wasn't optimized properly, or um, for whatever reason, or you know, because I'm sure it's things like installation of the house you know you can always improve on that that's an easy thing um but i'm sure there's more you know i, I know enough about physics you know because I've, I've been trained as an as a uh, as an engineer um uh, electro mecha mechanical engineering but you know it's still engineering so uh, physics still works the same way uh uh although i know nothing about heating uh, other than just all the theory stuff um but I presume that you know things like the pipes and and uh, the diameters of pipes or where the pipes are or how the uh, how the radiators are connected and where they are in the room that all matters very much with a heat pump boilers with a boiler like you said you just chuck it in it gen it generates a lot of uh, heat or heats up the water to a higher temperature so you don't have to worry about all these things. Yeah, boilers um, are very I'm forgiving. Trying to find a question in there. Well, boilers are, boilers are very forgiving, but unfortunately, once again, you know, um, condensing boilers were mandated in 2005. And ironically, a condensing boiler is for a low temperature system. So if you look at Sweden, Sweden have had low temperature systems. It was mandated in 1984, I think, uh, 55 degree max. I mean, this is the thing. You don't need these high temperatures to heat your home. I mean, I know pe people are used to hot radiators. I mean, if you go back historically, there's, there's some reasons why everything was hot. But you don't need these hot radiators in the majority, majority of homes. I know everyone thinks we've got leaky homes, but actually when you measure heat loss from a home, average across the, all the building archetypes is around 6 to 10 kilowatts. That's what we call it DOT, design outside temperature. So the average coldest day in this country is minus 3. So we design our systems to around about that. So as long as we've got enough power, enough joules per second, which is what your watts are, as long as we've got enough power to meet that demand when it's minus three, because remember, heat is moving at different speeds depending on what your outside temperature is. And so basically, the, the way to think of a heat pump is, is you work out what your home needs. You get the heat pump size for that, where you can find the heat pumps for any size. You then have to have your emitters, which are your radiators or your underfloor heating, to be able to deliver that heat 
uh, that quickly. And then your pipe work has to be sized so it can get one to the other. So then, them three things. So that's design, yeah. and that's that's why sometimes people say, well, "Why aren't heat system, why aren't heat pump systems the same cost as me having a boiler?" Well, there's a lot of off-site work that goes on. So when people go and put a heat pump system, good engineers will go and design, uh, go and survey the property, and then come away and they spend a lot of time designing it, calculating it, procuring all the different uh, uh, t- items you will need because each home is different. It really, really is. You know, we're in a heterogeneous. Uh, society or heterogeneous building stock every home is completely different um so they will design what they need for that particular property and that's where the time you know there's a lot of time that goes into that it's not just turning up and actually putting the stuff in and the, the hours you're there uh, when you're actually at site there's a lot going on you know you might need to do a dno application because uh, there might be um and planning permissions for sometimes is involved and that's all that's all done off site you see so that's when people talk about cost parity of border, that's not going to happen because someone can go in and put a border in, in half a day without doing any design, not cleaning the system or anything. So, yeah, so that you get the bet, you know, you're getting a, you're buying into a higher level of service, so that it's always going to be a bit of a different cost. Okay, do you think the cost of it will ever come down, um, you know, to the levels that that people are used to, or uh, or uh, is it just is it? Now that we're going to move, you know, away from the gas boilers, um, is heating going to be a bit more of a service rather than chuck it on the wall and forget? Because um, you know, it's it's obviously obviously uh, people like uh, British Gas and other companies have been already looking at uh, charging people monthly subscription, uh, you know, for servicing and stuff like that. Is that going to be a norm uh, for for heating systems in the future? So you you basically you, you give a tenner a month for your heating engineer. To be on call and and uh, kind of help, you know, uh, maintaining your system and all that. Or is or is uh, do, do you do you see that ever changing? Because obviously, like I said, heat pumps have been around forever, uh, or for a very long time, as far as we're concerned. But the uh, but uh, things will have to be like every product that becomes, uh, you know, um, becomes something that's in every house uh, changes, right? Um, things get normalized and adjusted for a regular consumer when they're everywhere do you think that's going to happen to heat pumps or do you think they're kind of ready as they are and it's just going to be as it is now well the, te- the technology's been there. yeah the technology's ready i mean a lot of people think heat pumps are expensive i mean if you're talking air to water which is like your monoblock systems and you do get split air to water systems as well you know a six kilowatt system uh you're going to get for about two two grand so you can get six kilowatt systems for you know, the actual monoblock for two grand premium um, brands would be about three and a half grand so it's it's not they could i think people when they read these news reports like ten thousand fifteen thousand they think the actual heat pump costs but it's not it's the actual install so you've got to bear it in mind we're not just going in and changing a boiler anymore which is what the so, you know 2005 we probably should have gone in and changed the boiler and the heating system so it became a low temperature heating system which is what they're designed to do um, when you talk yeah. about costs of vapor compression tech, vapor compression technology, uh, it, it, when we talk about things, what people call air conditioning, that's very cheap. So you can actually heat your home with comfort cooling, comfort heating equipment. So you can buy a four kilowatt outside unit, uh, five hundred and eighty quid indoor unit, two hundred quid, maybe one for upstairs, one for downstairs. Um, that's quite cheap technology. Uh, and, and that's ubiquitous technology that that dwarfs the boiler industry that kind of stuff but when we talk about air to water stuff that's still a very small niche 
So, um, you know, millions and millions of boilers being made around the world, but the, the, the air-to-water stuff is very small niche. So, obviously, these big companies that make all this stuff, the compressors and metering devices and different coil, fan coils, fan, you know, it's... Um, if the numbers, I mean, we're rather small, we're a small country, but if the numbers increase, you know, you're going to get a little bit of cost comes down with the actual product. But you, when it comes to actual costs coming down for the actual engineers, you know, if they're spending all this time designing, you know, that cost isn't going to come down too much. And there is an argument, why should it? Because you're having a very good level of, as long as you're a good engineer, and some consumers are going to unfortunately have a lot of rubbish put in but you know if you've got a good engineer coming around they are worth their they're worth their salt they really are this is very technical stuff and i think society's now starting to realize that you know it's very complex you imagine if you're linking up a heat pump system with pv pv battery solar thermal your ev charging very complex stuff and i think people are gonna have to get used to that's you know you pay for what you get don't you, you pay for a good service it's not going to be an 800 quid boiler change, no. <laughs> and, and presumably once you get a heat pump installed properly, uh, you know, barring sort of uh, any uh, major issue with, with the, the hardware itself, it, if, if you don't, you're not going to have to change it uh, probably for a, quite a long time. So you're, you're not going to have to do any, any of these uh, uh, expensive bits of work, right? Uh, it's just one of those things that you just do and kind of maintain it to, to a good level. Yeah, in a sense. So obviously, if you if, if you've got a good engineer going and they sort of a, they survey the property and they think, oh, forty percent of your radiators might need upgrading, and we've got some pipe work that needs upgrading here. Obviously, that gets done. That's costly. But once that is done, it's done. Um, I mean, it's always worth your listeners realise that if you want a really efficient system, there's one rule you have to remember, and that's you need to narrow the delta T between your source temperature and your sink temperature. And I'll probably better explain that. So your source temperature, so with an air source, heat pump, air is your source. That's where the energy is coming from. And then your sink temperature is the flow temperature around your radiators. And the closer you can get them two together, the more efficient your system will be. And people talk about the co coefficient of performance, COP. So if it's, if it's zero outside, but I've managed to get a system that at zero can keep my home at 20 degrees with 35 degree waters in the radiator. That 35 degree is quite close to zero. Well, it's closer than if I had to have 55 degree water running around the rads. So the narrower, narrower you can get them two temperatures or the closer you can get them two temperatures together. And that's where design comes into it. So when you design, you're looking at, you know, radiators have become so important. I mean, <laughs> emitters have always been important, but uh, the radiators become very, very important or the way you emit heat into your room um, because the more surface area you can get to be able to, hit, to, to get it into the room at you know, the speed you want depending on the outside temperature I mean because you've got to remember good heat pump systems are weather compensated they're changing they're varying the, the power they put into the room dependent on what's outside and our boilers should be doing that as well so we've got weather compensating boilers but unfortunately because it's such a mass market I mean we've got the Hive thermostat, for instance. So lots of people like it. It's a smart thermostat you can use. It's got geofencing. You can use it on your phone. It's actually not a smart thermostat. It's a non-off stat. It just tells your boiler to come on or off. There are smart stats that tell your boiler to yeah. modulate depending on the weather. Because obviously if it's, if it's milder day, you don't need so much energy going into your room. When it's a colder day, you need a bit more energy. And you can modulate the boiler a lot more efficient. And of course, now with fuel prices, people are starting to realize it's not just about turning your... Uh, room stat down it's about lowering them flow temperatures coming out of your heat and source 
um, because then you're using less fuel. So heat pump systems modulate with weather compensation. Unfortunately, we've got companies going in, putting them in and actually setting the flow temperature. That's not really good practice. You want it to be modulating with the weather. Yeah. With the, um, the the other question that I that I that I heard from people is um, whether you can still use. Uh, in our case, we've got uh, Tado, which is another one of those systems that kind of um, you know you've got a TRV on each route that um, that uh, regulate, regulates the uh, the flow in temperature in, temp- in temperature in each room separately, which is actually quite quite nice because that way, if we're not in in the living space upstairs during the day when I'm in the office. Um, you know, there's no need for the master bedroom to be uh, to be heated, for instance. So uh, there's obviously less output. Can you use those systems still with the heat pump, or do you have to uh, set up the everything and kind of just let it flow? Because well, I, I, whoever, like I, I've sp- I've spoken to multiple heat pump uh, engineers, and the one of them would tell me, no, your heat pump has to run as much as possible, so you don't you don't want it cycled. Others will say, no, it's fine. You can have individual TRVs on radiators still with a heat pump. And, you know, I don't understand why there's a, such a massive discrepancy between their points of view. Hmm. It's a very conscientious subject. Uh, the control industry uh, is very, very powerful. So I suppose the famous players are Honeywell. Uh, I mean, you have to remember Honeywell made all the napalm and cluster bombs and landmines for the Vietnam War. They were a very big company. Um, and they like to be at every single market. Uh, so TRVs sort of come around with boiler systems. And so the idea is, you know, you, you shut off rooms that you're not in. With the, the with heat pump systems and all the top engineers that are in this game, they like to what we, and I've done a podcast on it, you know, you don't really want to be zoning. They call it micro microclimate. You don't really want individual zones in your home. You want to basically have a nice... Uh, open system so because if you're restricting flow you know heat pump is having to cope with that it's not so bad with a boiler system but of course the controls company i mean tardo i get on very well with i like tardo Tardo do a good smart step which can modulate the boiler um uh but control companies want everything in every room you know they want you've got a thermostat in every single room that's great for them but yeah you're real good engineers don't like all this zoning. I mean, what they do use a TRV for is a, is a limit stat. So if you've got lots of solar gain coming into that particular room, it can shut things off because you're getting too hot. But, but microclimating um, your home with all these different stats everywhere isn't the best way to control a heat pump system. Uh, the best way to control a heat pump system is to, is to keep it simple. Very simple, um, open loop, what they call open loop. You enable it in the winter. So you don't really touch it. It's enabled. I mean, people say it's on all the time. It's enabled. So it's a bit like your fridge. You don't wait till everything's cold in your fridge and then rush to unplug it or turn it off, do you? But it's, So your fridge is kind of enabled. It's not always on. Your compressor, you can't always hear that compressor on your fridge. It just does yeah. what it needs to do when it needs to do it. And that's what a heat pump system does. It's slowly putting energy into the, to the home when it needs it, it needs, you know, if it's really, really cold outside, it will put more energy into the home. But it knows what's happening because it knows what the weather's doing with an outside sensor. So it's enabled, but it doesn't yeah. mean it's always constantly on. Okay. Yeah, like presumably you don't want it to be, like we, we like it to be about 19 and a half degrees in, in, in uh, some rooms that we're in. Uh, but at night you, you want it to be 
down to say 16 because you're asleep and you don't want to be sweating uh, under your duvet. Uh, so presumably that's still possible, right? Uh, well, yeah. So you, so you, we, just, you just change the temperature, but but you, but you don't zone it. You just you just you know have the whole house certain temperature or or you measure it presumably in in certain spaces and you kind of uh, your heat pump works to that uh, uh, data. Yes, at night time, it's important at night time we have lower temperatures. It's, it's healthier to have lower temperatures at night time. Now, historically, with boiler systems, we're used to a programmer or a time switch where we turn everything off. And then in the morning, it comes on. And the reason we can do that with boiler systems is, again, because it's, it's very high temperatures. We can rush that heat out pretty quickly. Um, but with a heat pump system, you have a setback. So you just set it back. So instead of having your 19.5 degrees in your living room during the day, you set it back to maybe 17 at night. So the, the, the system's still enabled. No one's completely turned it off, but it's it set itself back. So it's not doing anything until it sort of really drops below that 17 or whatever you set it back to. If you don't want to set it back too far, um, but about 17, 16.5 maybe. So you have it on setback for nighttime yeah. temperatures. Okay. Uh, what about the... Um... Uh, so another question that I got asked, and actually it's quite relevant to to ourselves because uh, we in the extension bit that uh, we're going to get, uh, I'm thinking because it's a brand new build, uh, we might as well just get an underfloor heating, but we're not going to rip out all the radiators in the rest of the house. Um, and obviously, I'm sure I'm sure the underfloor heating was completely different to a radiator because you get underfloor heating is a massive pipe basically that's buried under your floor, um, so it's much longer. Uh, thicker pipe i presume again i don't know much about these things um and whereas the radiator is a you know it's a fairly it has a fairly high resistance when, when it comes to, to to the water flow right um do you need two different systems and how, how does that work is, is that much more complica- complicated than uh than just getting radiators everywhere in a house no no i mean they're basically they're both both heat emitters uh, like you say, you know, underfloor heating is basically one long continuous bit of pipe. And it's, um, I mean, if you are going for anyone going for underfloor heating, obviously a lot of, there's, once again, we're a very saturated market, the UK heating industry. So there's lots and lots of uh, underfloor heating manufacturers and they, they, they do design systems themselves. I, I, I think they're great at it, a lot of them. Um, I mean, they're sort of kind of, um, a lot of the engineers now, uh, what they will do is put your underfloor heating up. 100 centers so what that means is uh, each pipe is 100 mil from each other so obviously the closer you can get them together you get more surface area and that means more surface area means yeah. you can get lower lower water temperatures exactly the same with the radiator i mean if you look at a radiator it might be a single panel and then they might have tack welded some fins on it to increase surface area then they might have double panel with some fins uh, then you might have had two convert you know uh, more fins on the other and then they've got triple so you're increasing the surface area. Now, obviously, sometimes you, aesthetically a rag may look a bit too big, but certain rooms, I mean, it's all. It, this is where um, having a survey is, is very interesting because I can, I might go into one room uh, with some particular occupants and they might not have these floor, wall-to-wall sofas that go around a corner and they, you know, they might not have a lot of wall space for me to put an extra radiator. You don't always have to make that one bigger. You can actually put an extra one in because I might go in the same house with other occupants have just got two armchairs they haven't got sort of wall-to-wall sofas and they've got that nice extra wall and they don't mind having another you know you can have two room radiators in a room there's no problem with that you can have three in a room if you want it's about increasing that yeah. surface area because the more surface area of radiator you can get the lower your temperatures you can get and that's one of the secrets you're looking for you want the lowest temperature you can possibly get 
going around that system because that narrows that source and sink temperature. That's when you get your good cops. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's all about the cop, uh, basically. That's what I'm hearing. Well, it is. If, I mean, if, if electricity was is, if electricity was cheap, it, would, it wouldn't matter so much. Um, and this is why solar thermal is very interesting. So, so I'm a massive advocate of solar thermal. So that's what I'm kind of known for in the UK. Um, lots of people think winter you can't heat water up. Uh, you know, and I always say if you walk out your home during the daytime, you can see, and you can see because there's visible light. And next to visible light on the magnetic, electromagnetic spectrum is infrared. Infrared's always there, and it, is, it can heat up water. And in the winter, it's not great at heating up water for showering, your domestic hot water, which is what we usually have been using solar heated water for. But it's great at heating up your heating water because if we've got low temperature systems, you know, that have got running around, you know, running 30 degree water when it's 10 degrees outside or running 35 degree water when it's you know, five degrees outside, you know, solar thermal is great at providing some of that energy. And of course, it's free and it's completely clean. Um, you know, you won't get all your big energy companies perhaps wanting it because it is free energy. Uh, so the t- real good engineers out there are designing these sort of real good systems that are combining solar thermal, but not just for your domestic hot water you're washing, but to actually go into your input into your heating system. And sometimes they've got whole days of the winter that are just completely running off the, the winter sun. Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen those panels quite, uh, you know, um, around, and you don't see too many of them, but I presume it's the same... It's the same principle as if you had uh, like a glass house or, uh, or you know, uh, a small room in the sort of in the western side of the of the house that gets a lot of sun during the day, and even in the winter, they have the, that room's going to be very hot, from just purely from the from the sun itself. Um, and it's the same it's the same principle, right? Um, but I, yeah, I must ask ask the uh, the people who are go, uh, looking at our uh, heat pump ins- installation about it. I I do wonder how complex it is to. To add it to an existing heat pump or to a, a heat pump uh, uh, system, as opposed to just you know, running it off electricity uh, alone, is, is that is are, are all heat pump systems kind of uh, capable of, of having uh, you know another source of hot water like like uh, solar um, panels or or is it or is it something you have to specifically you have to source a heat pump that actually can deal with that 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 makes sense. No, so some manufacturers uh, are better than others at being able to integrate different technology. I mean, but you've picked up on a really important point there that heating is a system. It really is a system. So we've we've got stuck with this notion that heat pumps are efficient and it has to be an efficient heat pump and what manufacturer makes the best heat pump and what boiler is the most efficient. And it doesn't really matter. Um, I mean, I use the analogy of my younger brother. My younger brother's extremely fit. He did his sort of bleep test at the SAS camp. He wasn't in the SAS. He played for Hereford United, and they used to do all their fitness training at the SAS camp. Now, he's got a resting heartbeat still at 46 of around 39, so high 30s, low 40s. Really, really super-duper efficient heart, my little brother. But if you put his heart, this super-duper efficient heart, into my body, which unfortunately is a bit overweight, I won't be efficient. And that's exactly the same with heating. It doesn't matter how efficient your boiler is, whether it's A++ or how efficient your heat pump is. It's how the system has been designed. It's the system that makes things efficient. So a lot of people ask me, uh, you know, at quite high level as well, you know, Nate, what's the, what's the best heat pump out there? And I, I always say to them, you know, if you wanted a portrait of your family you know, a, 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 with acrylic or sort of oil paints, you wouldn't ask what's the best paint. You'd ask who's the best artist. 
And it's exactly the same with a heat pump system. You want a really good engineer to design that and put that in. Nothing to do with a heat pump. Really. Don't get me wrong, there's some that are, But there's much of a much. There's not one that's major, major better than any other. But so heating is a system. So, yeah, a designer, if you've got this, it usually comes down to space. If you've got the space for like a buffer where they can actually input some solar energy into, um, you know, they're going to be able to design that for you. But once again, it gets more complex and then poor old consumers. And, you know, how do you know who's really, really good? Um, maybe I should yeah, write. Yeah, maybe quite often the problem. How, how do you. Maybe I should do a maybe I should do a ten point checklist for consumers about about um you know how to spot a good engineer. I might have to do that. Yeah, I think that that would be very useful because the uh, it is a question. You know, I I I ask loads of questions and I'm kind of engineering minded, so I I can spot when somebody's just like telling me something they read. And you know, if if everybody tells me the same thing, but I know there's no they don't know why. The, the, their answers is, is, is a certain answer that I kind of know that they have no idea what they're talking about. Whereas with, with somebody tells me something different, but they know why I'd rather talk to that person, but I'm sure this, it's more complex uh, in the end. Um, and um, we, we seem to have a massive shortage or everyone tells me that there's a shortage of, of heating engineers these days. Uh, do you think that's going to be uh, solved anytime soon? Do you think we're going to see a massive transition of all the, the gas engineers into heating uh, or being proper heating engineers rather than just plumbers who fit uh, gas boilers. Mm, it's, it's a big, it's a big challenge. One, one of the big challenges, one of the big challenges is, 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 uh, and this is what I sort of talk to industry about. And sometimes I feel like I'm talking to a brick wall, but people ask like to listen is this whole notion of training and how we train people. And understandably we all, think with the education model so we all think training is about a bit like school or college or university. you go somewhere and you listen to an expert so i'm a lecturer i'm a qualified lecturer but that's not really how learning works if you go on a three-day course and you just got me standing at the front and i'm giving out all this information you know that's you just listening and often when we're listening we can be thinking about you know was it me supposed to be walking the dog tonight or am i supposed to be cooking the dinner? it's passive learning and we need to get away from that model it's it's Educational psychological research for decades has told us that has a very low impact on learning, that kind of model, you know, lecture, instructional teaching from the front. You need to make training um, active and engaging. And the way you usually do that is with questions and you get people involved in discussions. Now, the trouble with that is it's very time consuming. And education and training is an industry. They don't want things to be time. They want you in and out because that's where their money's made. And we're talking about a multi-billion dollar industry worldwide you know training in vocations it really is a very lucrative industry so that model doesn't work it's never going to work properly so if you want really uh super duper engineers you've got to really break that paradigm of how you do training or, or how you think about training and you can't so it's not just about going on a course is just the start of a learning journey it really is and you one of the things you need to realize also with learning and, and, and it, it, the ownership is on the p- person. The ownership is on the learner. That doesn't matter whether you want to learn piano, violin, fo- be the world's best footballer. You're not going to be the world's best footballer by d- turning up to a two-week boot camp every summer holiday and going to your club every Saturday Sunday. You become the world's best footballer because you invest time every night practicing with that ball. It's the same with any, with, with industry. Now, obviously, it's a little bit different. It's not like black, blacksmiths or plastering where, where it's a muscle memory. You know, you're learning... The, the muscle memory is actually your brain. There's so much knowledge in our industry. And the only reason you're going to keep that in our brain, because brains are designed to forget. That's called the forgetting curve. 
the only way you're going to keep letting your brain is to keep immersed in it, keep chatting about it. So you'll find the top engineers constantly are chatting about stuff. And this is wonderful. And this is what my, uh, my platform does, this my learning platform. It, it brings people together as a hive mindset. So if there is a challenging thing, you know, they're chatting with each other about it. I've got artificial intelligence in the background that's monitoring p- what people are chatting about. And then it rewards them with digital credentials, you know. So let's say in the future, a consumer wants someone that's competent and there's an engineer that's got a digital credential, which they can verify on an email or on a quote that these digital credentials are called open badges. Uh, and you've got someone that's been chatting for 300 hours over the last three years about how you would um, use a solar thermal system, for instance, with a heat pump. They're more likely to be more competent than someone that's just gone out and got a certificate in three days. Because unfortunately, in our industry, it's very easy to go out and get that certificate. You're only assessed with a with a um, what they called um, multiple choice assessment, and you can't fail. If you get them questions wrong, you're given another chance, and another chance, and another chance till you get them right. So you can't fail. Um, and of course, everyone then gets their money. The certificate companies gets their money. Uh, the training centre gets their money. So it's a, it's a strange industry. So. The secret is to find out who is yeah, conscientiously. Yeah. Oh yeah, but that's not to say. I mean, there's another. There's this other. There's this other argument that people need to have an apprenticeship to be really good in this industry. No, you don't. And actually, apprenticeships have actually created a bit of a problem because, I mean, I've taught a lot of apprentices. You've got apprentices that, are, that, that they don't learn at college. I mean, their main learning facilitator is at work. You know, their employer. But if your apprentice is with a an employer that actually doesn't know too much, they're going to perpetuate that problem. They end up not knowing too much. So everyone thinks apprenticeships is this panacea. Well, if you're putting an apprentice with a low-skilled company, you know that, that, that perpetuates the problem. So that's not the, the answer either. So uh, it's a challenge. But the biggest thing is you've got to find engineers that are conscientiously passionate about maintaining their learning and not just thinking, oh, I've gone on a course, I can now make lots of money. putting a heat pump. You want engineers... Uh, the men and women out there that are really passionate about maintaining that learning, and that's sort of kind of uh, what my platform hopes to do, which is only just launched, and then I'm, I'm going to get. I've got some sponsors coming on that are going to sponsor people's learning journey on it. I'm going to put a link in the in the description because I had a look. Obviously, you know, it's not something that I that I'm interested in full time, but presumably, if anyone's listening or watching, and they're actually they're interested in being a heating engineer, you know, they should look at platforms like yourselves um, to, to, to get, to get some ideas on what they, what they can do. Um, Cause like, yeah, like everyone keeps on telling me and you're telling me that as well is that the, uh, it, it's, 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 it's a bit more of an engineering platform rather than just being, or, or a skill than just being a, a plumber essentially. Um, well, I mean, there's, and, and there's... That, that's very important. That's a good point. I mean, a lot, a lot of people think the skill of plumbing is being able to solder and being able to bend pipe. I mean, not being funny. I, I used to teach, you know, teaching colleges, and I've taught a lot of students how to solder. Soldering isn't, you know, the welder, uh, heard people say, oh, soldering's a real great skill. Well, no, it's not. It's, it's, welding is a fantastic skill, don't get me wrong. Soldering and bending pipe is just much of a muchness. It's, and yes, you're right. People can train. I mean, if you look at some of the um, consumers, the early adopters like yourself into EVs and some of these early adopters that got into heat pumps and bought heat pumps, some of them are unbelievable because they've got mathematical minds. They might come from a physical background. They know heat, but they know it so well. So yeah, you're going to be able to have people transition from other areas, especially in the design. I mean, not everyone is kind of hands on a mechanical and, and, and you have to know building fabric as well. I mean, one of the big skills is be able to walk the building and think, oh, should I run pipes through that wall? What this wall? How do I cut through that? Da, 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 da. So 
what people think is the skill of plumbing, like bending pipe and solving, isn't really. It's the knowledge, and especially things around water regs. Most, most, a lot of people actually don't know water regulations. Uh, I mean, for all your listeners, if your shower hose reaches your toilet, for instance, that's that's a big, big uh, breach of water regulations. But the amount of baths I see where they got the shower, you know, the mixer tap with the shower connection to it, and it can reach your toilet, category five breach. But this. And I see it in ho- I see it in hotels, and I do say to the hotel, I'm not paying this bill. And they go, why? Why is that? So well, you're, if I rung up uh, your local water authority, you're going to get fined quite a lot of money. Uh, so yeah, I've managed to get free hotels quite a bit for that. Interesting, interesting. Because uh, well, um, well, well, I have to, I have to um, ask you that. Uh, what, what do you think about all this sort of uh, hype around hydrogen boilers? Uh, do you think that's going to go anywhere, or uh, is it just the fads that you know? Because um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm worried sometimes that the, uh, the, if I look at the history of of technological uh, uh, progress in the in the world, not always the best uh, and the most, um, not, not always the best ideas win. Sometimes think people push for things, you know, that aren't that great, but they kind of work if you just force them. And I'm just worried that. Hydrogen is one of those things that's stopping people from adopting heat pumps, and it's going to be potentially um, not the best so, uh, uh, solution, but the one that's going to be pushed by the industry because it's the easiest or whatever. Um, what is your uh, professional opinion on that? Yeah, it's interesting. So obviously our industry has been polarised with that debate, and you've got lobbyists on both parties. I mean, there's heat pump lobbyists and there's, there's uh, the uh, hydrogen lobbyists, and actually they're quite a slick lobby group because um they're the incumbents but it's actually petered down you, that that sort of uh the, the bickering i think has petered down a little bit so obviously it makes sense to you know hydrogen is actually quite a, a fantastic thing to to study so it makes sense to keep studying it and maybe with the discourse around it might be used for heat i don't think it's ever going to be used for heat in mass scale at all that's my personal professional opinion um i don't it will be used in certain hubs it's going to be great for industry and, and other uses um, but it's not going to be like what we see with natural gas and what we saw earlier with town, town gas back in the day um, don't get me wrong while they maintain that story lots of things are happening so obviously they're upgrading the gig grid you know, lots of people make money from upgrading the grid so it's, they're going to maintain that story I think it's still important to study hydrogen from, from you know as much as we might argue it's not going to be used mass scale for boilers in homes there's still things they're going to learn from it, uh, yeah, from the from from studying it and, and all that sort of stuff. But it, it it did get quite intense the arguments. I think what's happened is so that if you look at some of the main bodies in heating that, that are very entrenched with sort of the gas um, supply network, I think they realised they've been arguing against physics a little bit. Uh, you know, so when the heat pump people yeah. come come along and said, you know, they, I mean, you have had an established heating industry, for instance, saying heat pumps can't work unless they're in buildings that are epcc not realizing they're actually saying that in offices that are being heated and cooled with vrf technology like i've just said yeah they're being heated and cooled with i mean the federation of master builders did it not so long ago they wrote a massive damning report about heat pumps and you know their offices in london are getting heated with vrf technology uh, and there's pictures of it on google so i think i think it's quieting down a little bit i mean it's interesting um uh I mean, the boiler industry in a bit of a funny funny situation. I mean, when you talk about heat pumps, there's kind of three categories. There's traditional HEVAC 
manufacturers that have been making this what everyone calls air conditioning stuff. So that's people like Toshiba, Hitachi, Panasonic, um, Daikin, LG, Mitsubishi, all these sort of people. You've then got um, the boiler manufacturers like Valent and Wiesmann uh, that, that make this stuff. I mean, Bosch uses IVT, which is Swedish technology, Mr. Bosch. Um, they're, they're all part of groups. So like people like Ideal, Ideal is the biggest boiler um, manufacturer in this uh, or seller in this country. You know, they're part of uh, Atlantic Group, which makes makes some um, heat pumps, lots of French manufacturers in that. And then you've got the standalone heat pump manufacturers, people like Nebi, IVT. So you've got these kind of three different. Um, so I think what you're going to see is the. But the and so the interesting thing is the, the boiler manufacturers, obviously, they've been selling, used to selling lots of boilers. So they're going to try and maintain that sort of. Uh, um, that they need to maintain themselves. I mean, the, I think one of the things we're going to see, we might see a few big, big players fall because we can't maintain 1.7, 1.9 million boilers a year. And they're kind of, you know, the boiler industry's been caught with its pants down. Really. You know, we've been shoving these boilers in. People are used to now, you know, this, I was talking to someone I know who used to, used to be on the news desk at the BBC, and, you know, he's had three boilers in 15 years. Three boilers in 15 years. Because we've got a society now that's if, if they break down, they put a new one on. We, we, can't, we can't go, well, that's not sustainable. You know, that growth is not low, long, no longer sustainable. So I think the, the, the heat industry now it's getting looked at and scrutinised is having to sort of change change the way they think a little bit. Okay. Uh, yeah, it, I think that's true for, you know, loads of industries where we have, we, 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 we're we used to just buying things and if it breaks down, we just replace it instead of going and fix it. And I remember when I was young, I mean, granted, I grew up in a different country uh, and under communism, uh, so completely different realms, like of, you know, availability of things. But if anything broke, you just, you you went you knew somebody who could fix it or you went to a shop down there in the high street where people were able to fix it uh, for you so you know it's uh, it was a completely different different world and it, it feels like uh, ages away but it wasn't that long ago um, and we need to go back to that because I think that's the only way forwards uh, you know we need to I, I think we need to start realizing that we need to things cost more but they last longer and that's I think that's the same probably true for heat pumps. Uh, last question because I, you know, we've, we've been talking for quite a long time. I'm conscious of your time. Um, if anyone's interested in like getting a heat pump for their house and they have no idea what to do, what would you tell them? Like if somebody met you on the street and said, "Oh, you you know a lot about um, heating and you know you talk to heat, heating engineers. What should I do to get a heat pump? Like what would you be uh, your advice?" Well, the first thing you should always do is understand the heat loss of your home. Um, and that's with any heating system. You need to know how much uh, heat your home uh, loses at certain temperatures. So you need you need to work out the heat loss. And there's there's various ways of doing that. You can calculate it. Uh, you can even good good people that know building fabric can sometimes be a bit way out when with calculations. That there are ways you can measure heat loss, but you kind of need to know that figure first, and then then you can design from there. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, yeah. Like I say, I, bet I should really do some advice for consumers about how to spot good engineers as well, because I think that's something that they really, really need. It's very, very hard for the consumer. Very hard. Yeah. Um, you know, this is, and of course, what's going to be a big problem that, I mean, one thing is, is if you think that you've got a salesman come around, because obviously the, the bigger companies are going to use salespeople to come around, a bit like the window industry, well, not knocking the window industry, but they'd have a salesperson come around. So you're going to get companies like that will have a salesperson come around and sort of 
you know, they clever people, so I think, well, you know, they're, they're trying to um, condition you into sort of doing something, aren't they? But you can kind of spot them as well, and that's not really what you want. You want someone that comes around and kind of you get the impression they know what they're on about. Um, and there's there's some little tactics of, of understanding that, but it'd probably be quite complex for me. Just I'd love to get, like I say, I probably should write something down for people, like a little blog. I mean, they can go to my website, not my website, my podcast, Beta Talk, and you know, you'll hear engineer chatting on there. Sometimes it's getting a bit too technical. I try and sort of dumb it down for the sort of whole wider audience. But um, yeah, don't, I mean, don't get put off. Don't think they don't work because they do. They are going to cost you a bit more, more money, and the more disruptive, it's going to cost you a bit more money. Um, but yeah, it's it's a, it's they do work, and it's something you can you should think about. So yeah, if you, you ain't got to rush out and do it yet. I mean, you can start to um, start to research this sort of stuff. Um, and like I say, I should yeah. I should really get some consumer stuff up on my website just to help them out a bit because that's like they are struggling. Engineers, I would yeah, point out, yeah. I would point out, engineers struggle with consumers as well because there are some consumers that want the world. They really want the world, and then uh, you know the engineer goes around and you've got consumers saying, "Well, you've only been here for two days. Why am I paying all this?" Not realizing they've spent like ages and ages trying to procure the stuff, get stuff in, and organize this and organize this with the planning and the DNO applications and designing it. But, but you know, society is, is probably the most complex, heterogeneous uh, cohort there is out there. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think I think loads of people have been scarred by having bad experiences with with you know professional uh, professional trademans tradesmen. Sorry, and and. Uh, and they just they they they're trying to be you know on it basically and unfortunately when you're skilled you kind of have to learn to live with that and understand that but yeah like i say there isn't an easy answer because i've been trying to think of if there's anything i can do to help and uh you know i'm just a podcaster doing you know doing this on the site this is just me trying to talk to people and share uh, uh, my you know share my thoughts and share my uh, uh the my interviews or my conversations with people um, but I, you know, I'm, I'm not a heating engineer and, and every, everyone has loads of questions. Like whenever I talk about heat pumps, it's, it's a, it's a struggle to find anyone to even talk to you or respond to your emails quite often. And once you find anybody, they, you have to keep on chasing them. Everyone's very busy. There aren't enough of them around. So we, I think, I think that needs to change for things to improve. So, you know, um, it, if, if you, if you, you know, if you think about adding something like that to your website, I, I, I'll be happy to share that because I think that would be very helpful to have a couple of points that will help people, you know, uh, understand that heat pumps work basically. Yeah, what I should do, I should do an episode actually about yeah what 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 um consumers can do, how, how they can ascertain a, a good, uh, but they're in the same boat as everyone. I mean, I have emails from like high up senior people in this discourse, you know, whether they're senior exit people at Ovo or Energy Systems Catapult or Energy Savings Trust. You know, I've had a special advisor to two energy secretaries. They all get hold of me, Nathan. Who's a good heat pump uh, engineer in this area? Because they all realise the problem. They realise now is how do you know who a good one is and where are they? Um, so I should really. Um, do an episode on that for, for consumers. I haven't done that yet. I don't know why I haven't done that yet. Yeah, <laughs> and and for anyone who's who's like afraid, you're you're because I'm listening to your podcast as well, and your your episodes are very approachable. Like you don't you you talk inside baseball sometimes, but you don't talk about you know super complex physics and and you don't use so you use the jargon, but it's not something that a, a, a mere mortal is not going to be able to understand. So I think. They should listen to your podcast if they're interested in heat pumps because you're going to learn quite a lot. 
Yeah, I try and cater for everyone. I mean, bearing in mind your list is anyone that sort of drive, a lot of people that are driving EVs are actually quite super clever people. That are, you know, the early adopters or the innovators are the first people on the adoption curve, aren't they? I mean, yeah. these, these people, some they're more technical than me. I mean, when you start talking about PV and batteries, I've just done an episode on that. I mean, that's a lot of it's going over my head. It really is, and I, I don't know a lot about EVs. I probably drove a Tesla before most. Well, I didn't drive it. I was in the past. So Tesla had a. Um, I grew up in Norfolk, so I used to work at Lotus actually a little long long time ago. So Heffel, where Lotus is based, had had a Tesla thing going on there. Uh, where, the time when um, oh, what's that car program everyone likes with Jerry Clarkson years and years ago? So, so it was at that time when they did the Tesla, and they I think they sort of slammed slated Tesla a little bit, but. My, my, they did, and they got sued for it. <laughs> they did. Well, my friend was the personal assistant to the top person at Tesla at Lotus. So she would get to drive that okay. tes- Tesla home, and, you know, I'd, I'd, we'd drive out to a pub in it. So, yeah, I mean, I probably didn't realise at the time I was driving quite a famous Tesla. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I don't know anything about EVs. I really don't. <laughs> I don't. They know that's complicated, as, you know, as people think. But, but you're right, I think. You know, uh, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is because I've got loads of people who own have an EV, and like I said at the beginning, they they're they're looking at improving their lives and and they want to have a heat pump just purely because it's you know it's a better way of 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 living. Like I I remember as a child, I always hated the fact that radiators were so hot in the house. Um, it kind of you know because you're, when you're a little person, you're approaching a big thing that radiates a lot of heat. It's not. A, it's not a nice feeling. I mean, it wasn't to me. Um, it's so, not healthy. You know, it's not healthy. The... Mm. Well, you, um, if, if you grew up in, so I, you, you would have grown up in Poland. Poland have a lot of district heat and third generation district heating systems. So yeah, you would have been used to very yes, hot. Yeah. But it's not healthy because it's convec- it creates convection currents. All the dust is getting churned up. So I mean, the asthma society years and years ago, you know, all these people were very, uh, very bad asthma when they go and live there. That, there's no radiators in sight. It's all under floor heat because it's low. It has to be low temperature because you're not churning up the dust with these convection currents. So, and that you can do that with radiators. You just drop the temperature. You need lower temperatures, and you know your room. You're heating your room up to twenty, and like I said, your heat moves from hot to cold. So, if you've got thirty degrees in your rads, it's still heating your room up. Uh, you might need a little bit more in your rads if you ain't got the surface area and it's a little bit colder outside. It's always dependent on what the outside temperature is. Yeah. But it's it, my point is that it's it's much nicer mm. to have a radiator that you know thirty degrees than than one at sixty. It's just a pure you know. I mean that's just um, personal bias, but I'm sure I'm not the only one who has that uh, that feeling. And it you know it's not something that you realize until your house is switched over to a lower uh, heating. Anybody who I know who has a heat pump, I walk into the house and I kind of instantly feel better, uh, and you just don't know why. Uh, but it's it's one of those things that contributes to that feeling. Anyway, because I, I, as you can tell, I can I can talk for hours, and I'm sure I'm sure you've got you've got something else to do. So you know, uh, I uh, thank you for answering all my questions, and and uh, and you know, hopefully, hopefully, uh, um, there's going to be some people you know coming from my platform to your platform and kind of asking questions, or maybe even willing to be, become a heating engineers. I you know, I I think we need more more engineers in general in the world. Uh, smart, clever people, and you know, heating engineers are just one of those uh, cohorts that we we need more of them. So, <laughs> thank you, thank you, Nathan. Thank you for inviting me on. It's been a pleasure. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. As always, if you're still listening to the Zero Awesome, 
uh, if you're watching, you're even awesome. Uh, um, subscribe, hit that bell notification thingy, whatever your podcasting or YouTube thing machine uh, tells you to do. Patreon.com slash TakeEDV and look at the description for all the relevant links. Ta-da.